and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wabo's most triumvirate work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And before we get into today's episode, just quickly, just letting everyone know there's a fan art contest, but if you haven't submitted yet, you're too late because submissions have closed. We're about to start voting, so keep your eyes open for that. There are some excellent, excellent, excellent submissions. Yes, so that vote should open within 24 hours of this episode releasing. Uh, Yeah, and you know that vote will go out to all our patrons. So if you're interested in getting an early sneak peek at the art uh, and Mm -hmm. getting a say in which one you think uh, deserves the cash prize, uh, head on over to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Uh, I've been looking at the submissions, getting the, the post ready for the vote, and uh, holy shit, like, I, they're so good. Mm, mm, yes, I'm excited for the vote. Um, but enough about our Patreon. Let's get into the episode, shall we? Uh, we're going to be so talking about out on... Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. We're talking about out on a limb 3.z, leaving a mark 4.1, uh, the 4.1 bonus materials, which is a, a nice little class schedule, doing some predictions, discussion question answers, and for a little bonus, we'll be going back to Pact. But first, let's start with the aptly titled out on a limb 3.z. And what a 3.z yep. uh, is. From the perspective of Z. Of 3.z, exactly. <laughs> um, 3.z takes Brie... Uh, to the next Hungry Choir meetup to, uh, so that they can work together to take it down a peg. Yeah, and so obviously this sort of opens with, you know, just two pals on a totally aromantic uh, road trip. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Um, my favourite part of this is that we are introduced to this scene with them kind of rehearsing the Hungry Choir song. And yeah. Zed's like, oh, do we have to sing this? And Bree's like, oh, I'm nervous. And the implication being that she just sings the Hungry Choir song when she's nervous, which I thought yeah. was very funny. Well, I mean, I, like, I think it was more she's prepping. No, no. For the I thing, think that but she I'll... just, she yeah, just I... has it stuck in her head all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, like... Either way, like, yeah, your situation's fucked if your way of, like, calming down or staying focused is to sing that song. Like, hearing us sort of just choose to sing it. I was like, Brie, what are you um, Yeah. I, I mean, overall, I think this, this, the opening for this chapter does such a good job at just, like, setting the tone. Like, obviously, Brie singing the song, at least for me as a reader, was like, oh, fuck, here we go. Um, mm. but you know, shit's going to hit the fan when people are singing the hungry choir song, it's raining. Um, which of course, you know, not only is it a dark and stormy night, um, but like even specifically in this story, I associate rain with the ruins, which I then associate with yeah. the hungry choir's domain. So, um, <laughs> you know, that, that's just the, the world of pale sort of working itself into literary tropes. Like it's just. I think from the first like four paragraphs where all this setting is being done, you're just like, okay, this is going to be a thing. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, yeah. It's great uh, tone setting, right? I mean, we all kind of knew going in exactly what this interlude was going to be. And so as soon as we know, okay, it's Zed, we know what's going to happen. And so it's kind of playing with our expectation of exactly what this chapter is going to be, which is exactly what it is that this team of practitioners <laughs> taking down the hungry choir. It's great. Yeah, yeah. There's also the great first bit, or well, the bit where they first see a waif, where there's this kind of thing where it's like Zed sort of ponders on life for a while, and then mm. he thinks, I haven't really seen anything except some animals on the road. And then he goes back to pondering for a while, and then there's just this sudden, there was a child on the road. And like just the delivery, like it, it's going to be hard to convey this audio, but the delivery of like how it's pondering 
a little thing about animals on the road, and then I ponder, and then suddenly human child on the road. Yeah, and which and of course, like, the, yeah, yeah. Well, you start to freak out, and then of course you realize, oh, it's a waif, and so I'm like, well, okay, just accelerate if you're seeing children on the road in this situation. I think. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, it like that. That was just a great sort of one-two punch for getting me in the head of okay it now we're now we're getting started like the waifs are showing up and they do it in a dramatic fashion yeah um and it's it's immediately like oh okay we're here like shit's shit's about to pop off you know yep yeah um so the other thing is we finally get to see red ray red ray sunshine in the flesh um and he's so fun to see like it's this thing of seeing people who are clearly very advanced practitioners just kind of going about their day-to-day routine and it's such a fun <laughs> glimpse into the life of a advanced practitioner i think yeah it's awesome. and as as we start to look forward for the kenneteers like i perhaps optimistically uh hope that they will live long and happy lives um it's interesting to sort of see what other practitioners are like at that stage in, in their life. Um, mm. Like I can't help but look at everyone like, you know, not really Alexander, but you know, like Rad Ray Sunshine and think, Oh, okay. What, what does this tell us about what the Kenneteers could look forward to maybe? Um, mm. Mm, yeah. I, I think we'll touch on that more yeah. as these sequences of chapters kind of feel like, you know, this chapter, to a lesser extent, 4.1, but then, you know, obviously right back in with the bonus materials, are talking about what the future of these this trio might look like in terms of going to school and becoming a part of this, you know, web of, yeah. of practitioners. Yes, yeah, we'll definitely uh, be touching on that later. Um, yeah. I also love this, this, like, detail that confused me at first, but my understanding of it now is uh, Zed is explaining that this ghost town was cleaned up by other practitioners. So, so basically something went wrong here and and now when you pass through, you think, oh, there's just like two or three buildings left and that must be some kind of magic because when the Hungry mm. Choir took them on the turns, suddenly there is actually like a whole town here. So it's kind of like practitioners are keeping it under quarantine, I guess. It's a very very loaded word these days, but like that that's, seems to sort of be what's happening. Um, I mean, is that is that your understanding like, or have I just made that up? no i i have the same understanding for sure um yeah yeah i mean it, it's so cool because it makes the world feel so rich like you know we're, yeah. we're doing so much with kennett and now here's this sort of whole other town where presumably i think they said it was 1800s is so one to 200 years ago it had its own story and now it's just a, yeah. a set of ruins and hopefully that's not what we're going to be talking about Kenneth, in 200 years but um, yeah like, it's just one of those things that makes the world feel so rich there's a town here and it had its whole own story and now it's a set of ruins yeah i love the fact that Kennet is one of these towns in the sense that hungry choir visits all these ghost towns and Kennet. but oh no Kennet's definitely different and totally not just yeah. another well, example of a town that went totally to shit i mean it is for now but it, it really yeah. lends this like really negative aura over it it's a good point. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're in Kennet because of future sight. I mean, I don't think that's it, but it would be funny. Um, I, I also like as um Ray and and Bree arrive on the scene. Um, it's funny because we see the other contestants there, and so it hadn't even occurred to me that there would be contestants. Like I got so excited about practitioners fighting the hungry choir, I forgot there were going to be eight mm. poor souls uh mixed in the middle of it. Um, yeah, but there's this bit where one of the and I think it's the kid who later pulls out the gun. He, he sort of comes up to Bree and he's like, oh my God, is it like as powerful as they say? 
uh, and she's like, yeah, it's actually even more powerful and I hate it. Um, and it, it's just like, I continue to love how we're exploring this thread in the story of Brie getting what she wanted and being sort of lifted up into this faux celebrity status. Uh, and for want of a better term, feeling even less spiritually uh, sound than she was before. Mm. Um and I mean, I, I think we're going to talk about this even more with Avery uh, in the next chapter and, and what she thinks about uh, the little cult that she finds. But mm. um, yeah, I, like, I don't know. I don't really have any point I want to make here, but like, I just I continue to find this thread fascinating um, of, yes, you're kind of getting what you want, but it turns out that's not what you need uh, that the Hungry Choir seems to represent for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. These, these bits of... Um of the the participants kind of responding to the fact that Brie is here and doesn't seem to, you know, she she seems okay, but doesn't seem to be magically fixed is is really interesting kind of psychologically. Like imagine what that must do to to hear about, oh, if you win this, essentially, if you win this lottery, you get, your life is magically fixed. And then you see a lottery winner and they're just not happy. And you've put so much of yourself into entering this lottery. Uh, Yeah rough yeah well, and um, like the kid doesn't get it and like i don't really blame him like i don't know if brie mm, would have if like, yeah, when she was a participant course. like she would have been like oh i had i had pico like you know I've, of course i need to do this and then she sort of gets it she's like oh wait this isn't i mean it's fixed her problem and she says that but it, it, it's not like oh my life is a-okay now like yeah mm, yeah um so yeah uh the the group kind of starts setting up both the participants start setting up their 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 stuff for the night and the practitioners start setting um and as they set up zed and ray kind of catch up and talk about how they're both doing yeah yeah and we we like zed in in his internal monologue really starts to focus on like how ray has changed as he's gotten Mm. older and it's not just that he's getting older and that he's getting more ingrained in the system which is something that came up in our bonus bit last week um Mm. but he has this like the you know just history weighing him down like there's this stuff with his son hector um that you know sounds really tragic we don't get too many details on it but it just sounds like it was a a disaster and now you're just sort of sitting here and it's like well you know it it makes me think of what verona keeps saying like you know the more time you spend as a human the more miserable you are like even someone like ray who Mm. seems very chill and well liked he's very sunshine yeah yeah exactly like Nobody seems to particularly hate him. Like everyone thinks he's rad um, or at least, you know, indulges him. Um, so, but even he like, you know, is, is a pretty down and scarred person. So like you can sort of see where Verona's coming from. Not yeah. that her conclusions are necessarily where I would want someone to go, but like, you know, she's got a point that like well, through life you, you gather a bit of suffering. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It, it's, a lot of Zed's reflections are on, you know, how does Ray, how, how is Ray feeling now and how is he kind of deteriorating, right? And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it is a bit sad. Like Zed, you get this vibe of Ray as this kind of really ground down kind of person, someone who's was initially set up and defined themselves as Rad Ray Sunshine. And then as time yeah. has gone on, that's kind of become this facade that, that he doesn't really live up to anymore. Um, yeah. Which is very, you know, very on point for the for the 80s Technomancer vibe, but also kind of sad, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
there's this other moment that I really liked where Ray is basically doing the equivalent of a parent kind of checking in on their their partner's uh, their their child's new partner in respect yeah. to Bree, uh, which I I thought was very adorable. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Um, Zed has this moment a bit later where he feels a bit bad about thinking of himself as Ray's son. Um, but like, I don't know if you have like someone who's your apprentice for many years or like someone who who was like a mentor as you're growing up, I, I feel like you develop that kind of not parental bond, but one that's not dissimilar. Mm. Like I don't know. I can think of people who were, you know, heavily involved in in shaping me, like, you know, as I was growing up, and it, they would have done the same sort of thing. Like, you know, they're not your parents, but there's there's similarities there, I guess. Like and I think that just sort of happens if you're helping to shape who someone grows into. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um I I just love being in Zed's head, I think. Like, Zed is clearly very clever, but also very good at, like, reading people and responding to emotions and and that stuff, but also aware enough of his own thought processes to act in a very kind of measured, good way. And obviously, as somebody who deals with, like, cursed objects, there's always a bit of a trade-off in what Zed chooses to kind of use in any scenario. And just the fact that they are so... I mean, they don't even seem like exceptionally uh, exceptionally like skilled or talented or anything but they're just kind of very competent um he's very like aware of his own train of thoughts and just stuff that is i find really compelling in in a in a, a perspective character i think it's great yeah like the 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 moment I, I assume you're sort of referencing here is that bit where he draws on his therapy to decide like which items mm. he's going to take um and i mean i kind of hated that moment because he decided not to take the cool gun um even though but yeah, that was the right decision i suppose um but you're right there's a real like emotional maturity and and level of empathy to zed that even extends around to himself thanks to the therapy um mm. it's it's really cool and then yeah like he's so knowledgeable compared to most of the headspaces we've been in so far so uh we get all this cool exposition scattered throughout the the chapter just on not only what's happening here but like the wider practitioner world um, yeah and then also, as you said, like, you know, he dresses in, like, 50s style. His sight <laughs> is, like, neon lights. Like, yes. he's the fucking champ. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So good, right? Yeah. <sighs> anyway, so, yeah. Uh, uh, Rad Ray sets up this kind of teleporter light show, which pulls in the rest of the group, which is a gang of practitioners that are all here to help deal with the hungry choir. Yeah. I mean, the idea of, like, camera, flash-based laser teleportation is peak like shitty 60s sci-fi tv i'm so here for it um like i guess as i said we were like we touched so much on all the various things in the world like um zed goes on this whole thing about like technomancy and where it fits into things like i love that he he sort of clarifies for us um that the the patterns in this world that matter aren't just patterns but it's specifically like human patterns ones that humans associate meaning with so Mm. technomancy is actually not that great because it's not just about patterns you kind of a machine do things a million times because a human doesn't care about it and the machines can't yet maybe yeah i wonder i wonder where ai anyway let's not let's not go um yeah uh yeah i don't know it's it, it's just interesting and like i think technomancy is such an interesting thing to explore because as um as it starts to touch on here like technology has changed how we interact with the world like zed talks about how it's made it smaller but i think the way we communicate and like with people around the globe and sort of empathize with completely alien perspectives 
has mm. been fundamentally changed by the internet for, for some of us. Um, and I, I like, I feel like that ties into all this like justice and, and peace and understanding other people's perspectives, things that, you know, this story is dealing with pretty, uh, pretty head on. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, it, it's interesting because it's, it's, and it's, it's very, I guess, uh, other versy in the way that these themes that are floating around, I mean, we've kind of put a, put a pin in the theme of injustice and injustice is one of the major things that, that is being discussed here. But then there's, there's also these other themes that are, are really demonstrated just through like the, the nature of um, some of these practices and the way it works. Like, you know, even down to the fact that we get in this, we get in this chapter, this character who basically yells these primeval beasts into reality, which is just on one hand, a very cool power, but on the other hand, yeah has the potential to explore all these questions of like humanity and, and what's human and, and uh, the autonomy of others and, and, you know, the injustice within that, like it can kind of hint towards these themes as well. And it's just great how, how effective this story is at doing that. Yeah. We'll talk about that insanity a bit later that you just referenced, but um, yeah, like I agree. Like uh, I'd say two of the things that I feel like this story is talking about like the most are sort of like justice, um, justice and punishment on one hand, then like to, like disparity or, or, or privileges on the other. Um, and I think mm. these are both things that conversations around have changed fundamentally in the past, uh, or however many years, depending on where you want to draw the line, but like because of technology, like this is the sort of thing that, you know, the world's become smaller and that means that like this sort of stuff is, is more in the fore because we can see it. Um, and so I think it makes sense for, yeah, the story to dip into talking about that. And of course it's doing it through technomancy, like just sort of, you know, bringing the the technology into the magic metaphor uh, in a really fun way. Mm, yeah. Um, side note here. Uh, so there's a character who comes up who has a familiar whose name is Schatzmugel. And I, of course, when we find a name that's that bizarre, we have to look it up and see <laughs> yeah. what it's trying to say. Uh, and I was Googling it and I literally couldn't find anything except what was some kind of fan fiction that I didn't really understand. So seemingly this is a name that exists out there somewhere, but I couldn't find any reference to it or, or like meanings behind it. Weirdly, I found most of my hits were for name websites that had no information on it. Um, mm. I... I mean, I found it used as an example. Like, I almost felt like it was a saying or a meme of, like, you know, if you're trying to come up with the, the worst name for someone, Shots Moodle was like, like, you know, like there was one, it was like a blog post about, uh, by, by some person who was talking about their ex boyfriend and they named him Shots Moodle, uh, in, in the examples, like, as yes. a sort of anonymous name. Um, so yeah, I even tried translating it from German to English because it felt Germanic to me um yeah couldn't find anything if anyone has any more information on the origin of shots moogle like let us know because it feels like something but i couldn't quite find a link that i felt confident in saying this is like a reference that's being deliberately made mm. um yeah <laughs> i couldn't find anything about it so i don't know whatever well yeah maybe maybe uh we'll get a comment from a user that's like oh no actually shots moogle was some 16th century prince and here's what it means but I have no idea. I tried to look for that kind of stuff and couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like something we should do, and have I already said this? Did I say this a few weeks ago? I feel like we should do a really big like name game type thing. Mm. But if we haven't been doing name game and there's so many good ones, I mean, mm. like just or on the topic, like Brie as a name. Because um, it's a cheese that gets eaten. Yeah, exactly. Like, mm -hmm. um, there's, there's so many 
clever and cool names in this story, and we probably should be giving them uh like actual call outs. Yeah. Add that um, extra material or bonus bit ideas. Yeah, fair enough. Um I, I want to touch on something here, which is we've the story is obviously this chapter kind of been dealing with the fact that Miss is gone now and the rift between the Kennet the Kenneteers and the Kennet others is just growing and growing. Right. And this chapter kind of sets up the fact that there's this group of practitioners that all know each other and are all like friendly with each other. And yes, they've got some certified creeps like Chase and, and Alex Belanger. But then we also have Zed uh, and Nicolette who have this very like nice moment between each other. Like there's clearly a positive set of like relationships here as well, as well as some of the shitty ones like Alex or Chase. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it makes me think that this is now starting to set up this chapter specifically is starting to set up, you know, and show us what it looks like when we transition from the Kenneteers mainly hanging around with the Kennet others to the Kenneteers hanging around with other practitioners as they kind of get into the Blue Heron Institute, right? Which is fine narratively, but it does make me sad that we're not really going to, you know, we're not really going to, oh, it seems like we're moving away from the Kennet others. And the other thing I noticed here is this is our our third interlude chapter, and none of them have been, like the all the interlude chapters have been from the perspective of, like other humans. I mean, we had yeah. Nicolette, we had Zed. We haven't ever been inside, you know, John's head, for example. Maybe that is just because if we were, we would find out that he actually murdered the Cullen Beast or whatever. But um, like maybe it's structurally so that they can't rule out a suspect. But I, I do think it's sad that this story seems to be setting up this divide of like humans v others and nudging us more and more towards the side of the humans. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't noticed. You're, you're they're like the closest we've had to an other chapter would be all the verona one um <laughs> i mean we've had we had you know snowdrop has kind of been a focal point of some parts of some chapters and maybe that kind of yeah. counts nah but, um yeah exactly I, I think you're right like um i mean because i definitely there's one moment where zed is sort of like uh when he's calling out yolda and he's sort of like by the wars of man like i demand you come out and that was like this little bit where i was like oh, oh that's weird I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that phrasing, you know, um, mm. like just because I feel like this story has set up this metaphor of of uh, a lot of the others being kind of uh, you know the, the the on the poor end of things, like the, the people without the power, and so then mm. to see Zed kind of walking around wielding like by the power of man, I was a bit like, oh, I don't like this. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I don't know if we'll fully leave the Kenneth others for too long, but um. Mm. Seeing the Kennedys get more embroiled in the human side of things will certainly, like you're right, there's nothing to 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 imply that the rest of these human practitioners value others in in any sort of extreme way, and I, like it'd be interesting to see how much that kind of rubs off on the Kennedys at all. Yeah, yeah, I I am kind of worried. Like, yeah, I I don't know. I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it really does feel like as the relationship with the Kenneth others degrades with we're, we're seeing you know like okay so the other thing that uh, the other thing that we noticed in this chapter is we see that there's these very human and and like kind moments between Zed and Nicolette and they're clearly good friends yeah and both of these characters I mean Zed I think we I have no qualms about absolutely getting behind Nicolette is a little bit more prickly because of how she's acted in the past, but in general, you can kind of empathize with her and, and at least respect her to it. Yeah. Extent, I, right? I was pretty on board with her. I kind of saw her as someone in a shit spot who ended up on the yeah. wrong side of things, but I was 
willing to forgive her a bit because of how much Alexander felt like he was driving that ship. Yes, for sure. And, and both of them have an interaction with each other where they're clearly, it's clearly positive and healthy friendship. And they're both kind of like, oh, I'm excited about the new semester, which obviously is code for I'm excited to <laughs> meet the, the Kenneteers again, right? Yeah, it's a really um, fun moment where it's like, oh, yeah, the hungry choir. And it's like, oh, I couldn't talk yes. about that. I am interested yes. in the new students, though. Oh, yes, <laughs> me so too. Fun, like, right? <laughs> it's the kind of fun shit that really is like, uh, it feels like it's setting up, there's going to be this big group of friends where it's Zed and Nicolette and the Kenneteers when they get to the Blue Heron Institute. And I'm so, like, I'm clearly very excited for that to happen because I think it's going to be great. But I'm also sad that that is seemingly at the cost of positive relationships with the Kenneth others, who I do think have got a bit shafted in terms of like the dynamics of power that seem to exist. Yeah. Well, I think that'll probably just be a sort of uh, story point if that happens, because basically the, the Kennedy is making cases for others more like might sort of, you know, they, they might be the uh, blue heron Institute version of like social justice warriors or something, you know, mm. like, like maybe, Maybe that'll sort of be things everyone will be trying to get them to value others less. And yeah. maybe even within the group, there'll be sort of conflict on how much they should do that. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I could see that sort of being a thing that's happening throughout uh, their time there. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I could see that too. That would be pretty cool. We'll see. We'll have to see how it goes. Um, also, just, just a side note, uh, as we're rounding up our coverage of uh, this this crew who's arrived, there's that mm. um, Eloise uh, woman who... Mm-hmm. I like I think she's just Ulysses' uh fiance or whatever, but she's got a really cool aesthetic. Like I can get behind a creepy centipede that crawl- crawls over you and does <laughs> tattoos and stuff. Like it 10 out of 10. Weird, right? God, creepy. Um yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I <laughs> Okay, I want to touch on another th- another quick thing here is the fucking Chekhov's the Chekhov's licorice. That, that plays off here where we get these beats of like oh remember to take your licorice or like zed grab the bag of licorice and i'm like you know obviously the reaction to that is what the fuck does this licorice have what's to do up with this licorice exactly right <laughs> and then it pays off in a pretty great way when we find out what it's for that it's kind of protecting brie and then that is kind of plays into the resolution of this whole thing in a way that's yeah. so good and it all it all comes from this Chekhov's licorice which i think is so awesome yeah we'll definitely talk about the ending when it comes up but i agree like I, during my live read i had all this fucking speculation about what what kind of magical licorice it was like i assumed <laughs> yep. it, i assumed it was one of zed's like cursed items right and i was yes, trying to figure course. out what what power the licorice had in it and it's like no it's just like you know She's just walking around with fucking giant sticks of licorice, like munching on them. It's it's, it's mm-hmm. also just a hilarious image. Like mm-hmm. it's a ridiculous thing to be eating in this scenario uh, without the context. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Um, so yes, uh, the ritual comes is is fast approaching, and so the practitioners are kind of starting to make their play. They set up defenses and they call out Yolda, uh, and uh, she does not want to play ball with them. Um, <laughs> things almost immediately go bad and Yolda v- quite quickly starts to work her way through their defenses. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and this is just like, this fight scene is so fantastic. Like the, the fucking hordes of waif zombies, um, that are like climbing up the barrier. It reminds mm. me of that scene from world war Z, you know, where they're in Jerusalem and there's like the oh, big yeah, wall. And they're climbing up the wall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think, World War Z is, is is not the perfect movie, but I, I like just love the sort of the way that the 
bodies of the zombies always felt like waves, like the, the imagery mm. that movie captured. And that was just what I was picturing with these waves, like just actual waves of, of like zombie children fucking clawing at this invisible barrier. It was, wait, I, I need a visual adaptation of this. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. For for based on what happens at the end of this chapter, I'm not sure that I want a visual adaptation. Oh yeah, good of point. A woman I, eating a child, but I doubly yeah. want a visual. Okay. Adaptation. Um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, there's also a bit just before the fight kicks off where Zed starts to like outline the plan, um, and then he has to stop because there's like a bunch of waifs watching, and I just love that as like a diegetic way to hide the plan from us like it was that thing it's like mm. okay now let's go over the plan oh no they're right there okay we went over the plan before we could wait and i was like oh god damn it i can't even be mad about this <laughs> i don't know what their plan like their plan seemed to just be chuck everything in yelda and hope that it's enough and that plan does not work <laughs> no i thought i think the plan was always to get brie to do her thing i think it was like the think? rest of them yeah i'm my understanding is that the plan was we try to keep yelda busy until brie and get Brie close enough. And mm. Brie ends up having to do like all of the work um, because she's sort of immune. But like, I, I don't think the plan was to get like fucked up by the zombies quite as quickly as they did. But I think the plan was always stall until we can get Brie near Yolda to get her to eat her. Mm. And because there's all this great talk, like Zed's like, now the plan is to like, you know, make this, the metaphorical snake eat its own tail uh, and, and mm. stuff like that, which of course, you know, I, I didn't think was going to happen as literally as it did. <laughs> <sighs> yeah um i want to touch on i i think something that i've kind of started to put my finger on more is, is something that i love about this universe is how kind of constantly disgusting the practice is like there are some bits that are kind of i guess there are some parts that that are that are more slick but mostly it's all very like raw and human right like mrs duroche whose ability is to kind of grunt and scream a monster into existence is a cool power, but also it's horrifying, right? <laughs> and and I feel like that just adds to the kind of visceral uh, excitement and fear that, that this story is able to build. It's it's great. Yeah, because like, well, she doesn't just do this weird guttural scream. Doesn't she actually start like cutting into her own throat with her fingernails and she's like bleeding from her throat as she continues to dig into her own throat and scream um it's incredibly fucked up and i loved it um i mean but they're all like this right that's the thing well well, yeah you're right i I think it makes it feel so much more intense and real because it's like you know they're not just standing in the background waving wands right like people are putting themselves into these fights with like in in really physical ways and in ways that that hurt them like you know like just kind of waving your wand and having like an energy bar it's just like it just becomes like a numbers game. It's like, oh no, I've run out of spell slots. Like, oh no. Whereas like these people, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I've yeah. run out of like, you know, places right. to stab myself <laughs> to summon a goblin, right? Like it, yeah. it's so much, the fact that every action is that much more like physical and intense, I think makes it feel, it makes every action feel more important and have more weight behind it. Yes, 100%. Yeah, so good. Um, um, and, and like, so speaking of, what the fuck was that thing that Miss <laughs> Duroche summoned? Like, I tried Googling for, like, twig, alive things. Like, it's described as, like, being, looking like it's part tree, part alive. Like, I couldn't, I just, I don't know what this was meant to be. It's it's so bonkers. I think it's, fuck, what was the word? It's like, it's a, I, I saw a Reddit comment about it. It was either called a primeval or a primordial, and I'm not sure. 
which it is, but it's it's a kind of um, I'm not I'm like pre-animalistic thing. Yeah, I wonder what mythology that that's from. I, don't know. I am not sure. I cannot. We'll have to try and do a monster corner on it at some point. If you if you've got an actual word we can use to start a productive it's, it's Google search. <laughs> pretty sure it's one of those two yeah, uh in the comments folks um i remember there's a reddit comment that was diving into it anyway um, anyway yeah uh so, it, it, just while we're on cool uses of the practice here uh a, a slightly more clean one like the scratcher sketch um <laughs> i just love as a tool like just on every level but especially like it draws big diagrams from little ones i was like that's so useful um mm-hmm. and that's that's so technology as well like taking something and making it easier for you to do like automating part of the process like i just i loved everything about the sketch the scratcher sketch mm-hmm. yeah like that that must be one of uh zed's most powerful tools it's um or just from a versatility standpoint anyway it's classic technomancer stuff right like taking a weird <laughs> piece of old technology and finding a cool way to make it useful um so yes uh yolda manages to uh yolda manages to break through their defenses uh basically reformatting one of their diagrams to become her own which is terrifying um and uh she basically pulls them into the ritual so we have the inner ritual with the eight regular participants and another ritual running with the practitioners excluding ray and brie yeah i mean it's it's a great like oh shit moment because it goes from like oh we're getting attacked by the zombies to like no, she's not going to kill you that quick because, you know, you're doing the ritual. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I love this as a, okay, here we fucking go. Yeah, it, it sets it up as this huge clusterfuck, right? Like suddenly the, yep. the animals come out and it's snakes and that's clearly so, like, toxic. <laughs> it's it's all horrifying and it's great. And it's not just snakes. It's fucking, like, it's raining snakes was the impression mm-hmm. I had. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, it like, making... This is making the snake bit from Indiana Jones look barren was sort of the impression I had. Um, yeah, so then now you're drowning in snakes as well as zombies. Like, it, you're right. It, it just, God, we have, what a moment for like, okay, now we're in trouble. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's pretty rough. Uh, there's snakes all over the place. Everyone's basically getting eaten alive by snakes and waifs, which is a fun <laughs> little uh, role reversal uh, before Bree manages to turn the tails, uh, turn tails turn the tables um <laughs> brie and zed kind of walk work their way through the crowd of wraiths uh, waifs god so many confusing words in this story <laughs> brie and zed work their way through the crowd of waifs to yolda uh and brie claims her meal yeah good thing uh zed got that kiss in while she still tasted like candy from the road trip mm-hmm. yep <sighs> yep um i i actually want to pull out the quote like the bit the bit where brie starts eating him because it's so good so like Zed has not been singing all the lines of the song. Uh, and in fact, just so on our Discord pointed out that like some of them are actually quite binding, which was something I hadn't even considered. Like practitioners mm. have to be careful which lines they sing. Because mm. there's one where it's like, if I if a single meal I miss, then I shall be but skin and bone, which like practitioners shouldn't be singing that. That that sounds awful. Um mm. But the, so so Zed sort of had these moments where he's had to let himself get bit uh to skip lines. And Yolda was kind of smiling menacingly at him as it happens. Uh, and then as as Yolda's sort of just looking to get away, uh, the, the text goes, Brie pushed forward, licorice falling from her lips. She grabbed Yolda. The girl looked up at her and Brie bit. A song for your supper, Zed sang. Brie bit again, then again. Mm-hmm. And like, I just, the like bringing the song in 
as a slam right there. Like I, I know Zed had to sing it anyway, but like I just I love that as a like kill line. Um, mm-hmm. It was so good. Ah, uh, yeah, it's pretty wild, right? Um, the setup with the licorice, Bree not being able to be prevented from eating, and then when Zed kind of reveals the uh, the the prestige, I guess. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's brutal. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I think it was the plan all along, but regardless, it's pretty amazing, right? <laughs> It's it really it just works so so well. It's such a good moment. Like I I I've just been calling this resolution perfect because I can't mm. get over it. Like it's so it, it it's so simple, but it's so fair. Like that's like, like when it started happening. The second she started biting her, I was like, of course, because like she can't like like yeah. But like I don't think anyone predicted it before this chapter started, as far as I know. Um. Mm. It's so simple. In retrospect, it's so obvious. You don't see it coming. Mm. Like I just, I couldn't get over how perfect the delivery and just the concept of this idea for killing the hungry choir was. Like it's, I, I think we've had this "how do you beat the hungry choir" question looming over us since arc one, and just to <laughs> Such have a it. Answer: You eat it. Of yeah, course, you, you get one of the winners to just eat it. Um, like I, yeah, yeah. I like I. I'd not hesitate to call this like a perfect resolution to this whole thing because I just I loved everything about it. Mm, yeah, isn't it great? So good. <sighs> um, yeah. So they've beaten THC, which is great. Um, Zed dials the Kenneteers and they do their final interview, the final yes. interview of a Kennett other, where they finally get the chance to interview the Hungry Choir. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm just dumb and, and didn't understand it the last few chapters, but I hadn't actually understood that what the Kenneteers wanted here was to interview Yolda. Um, so that worked as a bit of a reveal for me. I was like, oh, oh yeah, obviously. Um, I thought mm. they wanted to ask Zed questions for some reason. I don't know what I was but, um... I mean, I'm sure they have questions for him too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, my favorite thing about this this interview is the fact that Bree is continuing to eat Yolda as it's going on, which is just mm. insane. Like, I mm. can't, yeah. Also, yeah. also, also, also. For, sorry, um, wait, wait. She's not just eating her through this interview. It's for four and well, a half yes. hours yes. after we'll, this as well. We get four, to that as well. About five hours eating a child here, and there's another guy who's just with there with her, like smushing up bones into bites of his pizza. Yeah, I I want to get to that as well because you're right. Like that's hilarious. But just the idea, like to me, that's a whole different crazy energy to the Kennedys on the phone interviewing Yolda and her giving calm answers <laughs> as she's being eaten. Um, yeah like it's such an insane image um but the, i, I yeah. love this bit where um the kennedy's ask for privacy and zed's like oh it's going to be hard and lucy's just kind of like not our problem not like problem. Yeah. sort it out and and nicolette has like this Zed problem to me <laughs> exactly and uh nicolette is just like you know kind of like her um mm. which is like because i was this is whole like lucy's whole thing of like she puts on like this prickly exterior because she assumes good people see past it. And so I'm already kind of like, oh, maybe they can forgive Nicolette for that, you know, little trying to kill Avery business that happened. Um, and they can get on board with like, you know, being friends with Zed and Nicolette. Mm. I know this is a moment where we're, if we're talking about the school dynamic being an important part of the, the latter end of the story, this is like a moment where I'm like, oh, I have hope. Fair enough. There can be hope. Yeah. Um, should we, should we talk about, the clues that we get from Yolda. Um, yeah. So direct confirmation, yes, Yolda was the murder weapon. Okay. Uh, Yolda says there were a male and female there. They were masked. 
and the man moved like he was older, but he wasn't old. Um, yeah, which feels like it's meant to imply Charles yes, to the point I mean, where it's so obvious I don't trust it. Yeah, it does seem a little too much, especially with some of the things that happen in this conversation with Zed, where Zed's like, oh, yeah, you'd need to be someone who could, like, I don't know, make make others or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, but that's crazy. Who could do that? And obviously it's it's so clearly meant to be suggesting Charles to you. But I was kind of like, all right, so it's maybe not Charles after all. Yeah, I mean. We're to the classic trap of always thinking it's Charles because the universe hates him. Yeah, I mean, it could be, like, you know, Matthew um mm -hmm. he he doesn't move as well anymore that's a beat we've hit a bunch mm -hmm. um i think i saw someone it might have been in pale predictor someone suggested that it was marissica in glamour yes i saw um, that one marissica glamoured up to look like charles yeah Classic. so but there's all sorts of things here and and you can you can never know in this world but um uh, yeah like it definitely feels like we're sort of meant to start taking from this okay this was uh, like I, I don't know why but I, I saw myself and a bunch of other people have just sort of assumed that the woman is edith for basically no reason um and then who knows who the man was mm, yeah um we'll see um and a, uh, sorry a brief note uh while we're discussing theories just a brief intermission from that to note that alexander belanger had a child shoot himself in the head with a gun um that's a thing that happens in this story alexander's just like up. Oh, <laughs> waves his magic wand and a kid just shoots himself in the head with a gun. And he doesn't so. even give a fucking shit. He doesn't. Like, uh, Nicolette, up. Nicolette has the humanity to be like, oh, and look away. Um, yeah. Alexander's just like, did what had to be done. Um, I, I feel like this moment for me, like, like, cause, cause it's, it, it caught me off guard when it happened. Right. Because it's like, okay, we've finished with the hungry choir. And mm. then suddenly this kid comes in with a gun. And I was like, oh, what the fuck? And then he just sort of shoots himself in the head. Thanks to Alexander. Um, mm -hmm. and for a moment I was like, well, why, why do we do any of that? But I feel like it's to reinforce in case the fact that Brie is like shamefully eating a girl alive, um, in case that wasn't enough to make you think this isn't a clean victory. I think we, we just got this added layer of, oh yeah, we made a kid shoot himself in the face. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, like it, there's just, it, this isn't, I, I don't think I, you're meant to walk away from this being like, fuck yeah. Easy victory over the hungry choir. Like there's some dirtiness to to this win. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not a clean victory. I guess. Yeah. I mean, seeing Alexander, it, it like okay. Look, I hate I hate the guy. He, he's a of piece course. of shit. But um, watching him in action is kind of cool. Like the way he the the centipede girl was like disrupting connections was the impression I got from what she was doing with the centipede and Alexander kind of combos with her to make it. So the connections aren't just being disrupted, but they become violent and strifey. Um, mm. Like, yeah, cool practice mm. shit person. Yeah. Um, somebody that we're clearly going to see more of coming up soon because I imagine so. his institute. Um, uh, and so then yeah. the, the last moment of this interview, we need to touch on because God, it caught me off guard. Um, so there's basically this moment where it's like, you have one more question uh, just after we've sort of learned about this stuff. And the trio, rather than asking for more details on these murderers, are just like, is there anything you want us to pass on to John? Which like, I legit started tearing up when I read that. I did not expect something like that. I was expecting, like, I was totally in, we've got to get more clues mode. Um, like, I just, the, the Kenneteers, they're such good people. Like, what a, what a champion trio. Like, taking the time to use their last question to give Yolder a bit of like a human moment for want of a better word um, is just so nice. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And I'm, I mean, I don't give a shit about it for Yolda, but I'm sure it will mean something to John when they tell him. I, I care about it for Yolda as well. I feel like she got a pretty short end of the stick of life. Um, yeah, I suppose. Like, she got crafted into this thing, um, and she was craft, well, crafted by the universe into, like, a thing of famine and suffering. Like, I just... I don't know. I, I feel bad for her, and I feel like this is a, like this moment where the Kennedys are just sort of talking about John as Yolder essentially dies uh, mm. is a surprisingly beautiful moment. Mm. Like surprising mm. in the sense that I just didn't expect to have that sort of moment at the end of this chapter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, <laughs> so this is where Zed and the others go to get medical treatment. Of course, leaving Bree to her meal for four and a half hours. Um, <laughs> can't with this story it's yeah. so like the bit where you find out he's like oh i've been gone for four and a half hours and, and i think zed says it like twice in the narration i'm kind of like god why do we care and it's like he came back and nickel uh sorry and brie is still eating and i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah and she said something like i thought you were gonna leave me and i'm like oh, oh it's brie, so tragic no. <laughs> yeah um because she's so i mean that, that's like a, a thing that sort of keeps happening she's like so ashamed of what's happening because mm. you know she's eating a young girl alive essentially um and everyone's just kind of like no you're you're a champ um which for someone who had an eating disorder i can see why she's like struggling to comprehend that you know like i i have an eating disorder oh but also like now i'm eating a young girl alive like you can see why she's sort of getting upset by this um mm. and why it takes a lot from the others to undo it but um mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> I've really, really come around to Brie um, in the sense that, you know, obviously uh, Brie is the reason that Reagan is dead. And I, I'm really sad about that because I really liked Reagan. But damn, Brie is, has really won me over <laughs> like this. She's so great. She's so great. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I couldn't put it any better than Zed, uh, who gives her mucho cred. Mm, yeah. Um, um, and then we sort of end the chapter on this note that Zed is very interested in our trio and where they will go from here. And I mean, obviously, us two are uh, very excited to see where they go from here, but um, we don't have to wait. <laughs> yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's let's see what our trio does next, I guess, <laughs> with um, 4.1. Uh, leaving a mark, 4.1. Uh, should we touch on leaving a mark as a chapter title? What, what do you think this is referring to, Elliot? Um, I, I mean, it, it might be too early to say. I think I think it's going to be the, the, the maybe the Kenneteers on, on Kennet. Um, I don't know. Mm. Well, we should maybe save it for our Reflections episode coming out in a few days. That's true. It's a fair point. Good place to plug that we have a Reflections episode we'll be reflecting on uh, Arc 3 coming out soon. Uh, so, yes, let's start with Leaving a Mark 4.1, where Avery begins by going to visit a cult. Yeah, but maybe a kind of good cult. I don't know. I think we're going to have this argument a bit based on what I read in the notes. Um, well, I, I, I think there's no way that you can take, you can trust first impressions in this universe, I guess is the, the that's crux fair. of my argument about this. That's fair, but it's a mistake I will continue to make. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, but, yeah, I think, um, sorry, I just, I just want to bring up one question before, before you dive into it. So is this like a bit of a time skip? Cause I swear, and I went back and looked at the calendar we got early in arc three. I don't think we should be anywhere near this party yet. Unless I misunderstood things. Yeah. We've definitely jumped ahead a little bit. Um, yeah okay for sure 
Uh, anywho, so yes, Sorry, uh, yeah. we, we jump into this chapter and it's obviously we don't really know what's going on at the start. Avery bumps into this woman and there's clearly some weird, creepy thing going on. We don't really know what. Um, yeah, it's a good start. It's a good kind of compelling, strange uh, beginning to a new arc. Yeah, it, it's a fun sort of in-media res moment. Um, my first guess as I was reading it, I actually thought Avery was on a path and I started... Um, but, you know, this girl tried to give her the apple and she said she had to say no. And I was like, oh, OK, is this some sort of Adam and Eve Pandora, like mythology path type thing? Uh, it turns out I was a bit early for the path speculation stuff. But um, like, I, I think I think that's maybe part of like the mystery that we're sort of thrown into here. Mm, yeah. Um, now, here's something. Uh, Avery is talking to this this woman that she finds and. Uh, basically it comes out that it seems like this woman has been here since she was 12, which is obviously a bit worrying, especially since that's the same age as Avery and the trio, which is kind of like, oh, something funky is going on here. Avery puts her finger on it later when she says, I'm thinking maybe I shouldn't tell Verona about this place. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. There's there's also a six-year-old girl mentioned at one point, Um, so you, you can get into this cult pretty early um but yeah i mean it's interesting the bit about um telling verona because i i went to this place and i was like i don't know if this is verona's cup of tea for for starters everything is like bright and white um which does not suit verona's like i am the knight aesthetic uh but i guess it does sort of provide evidence for like leaving humanity can be a good thing um but something I wanted to bring up here, so we obviously meet uh, a, a bit more of, of our three remaining judges. Mm. And, like, have I missed it or forgotten? Or like, we still don't sort of explicitly know what the domains of each of these three are, right? Like, we Yes. There was the interview with Matthew and Edith, which I think gave us a lot more of an idea. Like, Aurum seems to be something to do with society, because I think they said it was mm. a city-related thing. Mm. Um, the Alabaster... Um, especially after today seems to be around like innocence mm-hmm. um and then sable uh you know the black one obviously death um mm-hmm. there's probably like a bit more nuance and intricacy to it than than that um yeah but it's interesting like if those if those three are right that sort of means okay so you have like civilization or whatever it's called and then you've got innocence for white and then you've got like death and violence like what does it say about this world that you need death and violence as separate entities like you know if, like that makes up 50% of, of what needs dealing with. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know. We don't have a clear picture of what these, what these ones are. We get more understanding in this chapter of what the Carmine Beast is. Right. Um, yeah. It, it also, <laughs> I, like, I don't know if it was just me, but I felt like I was, I wasn't quite fully following. Like it felt like it was vague, intentionally vague. Right. Um, we get the Carmine Beast as, uh, you know, as it's described, the thing that kind of makes uh, men remember what it's like to be hunted in the night, basically. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the bit I latched onto was that um, she was an animus, which are these sorts of, like, well, they, they're compared sp- like, directly to, to John as sort of things that manifest to, to as an action. So it's like it's like a ritual incarnate, but it's an incarnation of like doing something um mm. and i mean like I, yeah like i feel like there's got to be something there because we we had the animus librarian in the in the extra material last week the zed have and then and then there's also in the extra material this week there's a class listed as dealing with um anima and animus which are those 
subconscious Jungian psychology things I think uh, we briefly touched on last week. Yes. Um, so it, it feels like what what an animus is maybe will be something that's important because mm. um, mm. that's sort of three references to them now. Mm. But I agree. I, like All we sort of know about the Carmine Beast at this point is it was some bestial uh, incarnation thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I wonder whether our not knowing much, and this is maybe being a bit more tinfoily again, but I wonder whether our not knowing much about these judges is like a hint that a narrative uh, sorry an out of narrative hint that there might be something else going on like if we find out more about them we might learn that one of them's a murderer or whatever you know (laughs) obviously not something that obvious and and blunt but um something that kind of ties them more explicitly into this mystery in a way that they haven't really been tied in yet yeah maybe like i think they've said they didn't do it but like maybe one of them knew what was happening and did nothing about it you know Mm. um I can't remember enough about the specifics of of their like their first appearance to know if that's been ruled out or not. Um, yeah, yeah, I, like I, I don't know. They, they do seem to be these sort of unknowable figures, um, but maybe that's just them. You know, like maybe maybe, maybe you are tin foiling. Maybe it's just like they they are to some extent unknowable. Mm, yeah, and maybe that's what it's meant to be. Maybe we're not like maybe it's impossible to know more about them, and that's the kind of the vibe that we're meant to get from. Yeah, them, there's a, there's a mystique. Um, mm. so, sorry, just to j- jump back a little bit. Um, we talked about like how uh, Avery says she doesn't want to introduce this cult to Verona. Um, I think it's also probably even more important though that Avery looks at it and decides she doesn't want to because, like, as she sort of says on paper, this is a lot of what she wants. Like, you know, everyone's nice; yeah. they're taking care of each other. Like, you can leave. That, that's like I think an important aspect to this place. Um. But there's a hollowness to it that she notes that reminds me a bit of, of what Bree was talking about. Like there's a there's a sort of fakeness to it. And uh I, I know Avery's like a bit glamoured up these days to the point where like it, it sort of tarnishes any potential character growth in general. But like I sort of looked at this and was like, Oh, this is like a good sign that Avery is not just holding these goals of, of like company and, and niceness on on a pedestal now, but she's sort of looking at them more critically and saying, like, what do I actually want? Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's it's good, right? Um, I, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I I, I kind of joked about Avery not telling Verena about the thing, but I don't I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that problematic. I think it's good that they are all three of them as a trio. I think are becoming now that they've kind of gotten over the initial shock of being in the world, they are more critically evaluating the past before them. I think, and I, even Verona, yeah. we've seen kind of mature her train of thought about how she's going to turn into another so i i'm yeah i'm with you yeah um, yeah uh there's a little beat where snowdrop uh snowdrop here notes that this this might be a useful place for louise which i think is because mm. of all the talk of like recovery from addiction and kind of uh sanctuary that this place literally provides to the people that are here um but yeah i could see that i i do think though and this is kind of what we were touching on before i do think there's more horrifying stuff going on than we aren't seeing right now i i choose to believe that it's just the sort of hollow empty thing that we're seeing um yeah i i yeah i I mean i definitely think like if if there is any benefit to this place louise feels like a candidate to me as well i think snowdrop nailed it like louise needs to be taken away from society and temptation to be able to deal because she i remember from zero to zero she she's knowingly shit at taking care of herself like, mm. she was fucking falling apart from diabetes and everything, so she limited herself to, like, a couple of cigarettes a day or something. <laughs> like, she just, you know, she needs to be in a place like this to 
to find a balance, I, I would imagine, if mm. if the alabaster would let her in. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think she, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the metric for letting people into this place is, so who the fuck knows? Yeah, I, it would probably depend on where Louise's head is at about wanting to get better, I imagine. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the judges, including the alabaster deer, show up, and Avery kind of starts talking them through what the trio has found so far. Yeah, I mean, Avery kicks butt here. Like, she, I love how they're sort of like, they're like, oh, you were softer last time you came here. And she's like, yeah, fair. Like, she's so casual with them uh, in a way that, like, felt very un-Arc 1 Avery. Like, yes, you the bit. Like, she's, the, she's the mellowed bit. out in a good way, hasn't she? Yeah, like, there's the bit where they're like, oh, um, you know, you have to know yourself. I can't remember the exact context, but, like, Avery's just like, yeah, knowing yourself is hard. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's just, like, the sort of thing I don't think Avery would have had the confidence to say a couple of arcs ago. Um, I hope it's not all glamour. But, uh... Speaking of like the roles these ones would play, something I noticed on my second read through is the Sable Prince uh, only ever speaks up when they're talking about how things could go wrong. Like mm. if he is meant to represent death, like I think it's funny that it's like every time he speaks up is when it's sort of like, oh, you know, oh, if you want to protect your role in Kennet, you could swear an oath that you'll come back. And everybody's like, but what if we're wrong? And then the Sable Prince will be the one to be like, yep, it'd be terrible. <laughs> um mm. like it's funny how in this conversation the flow or whoever's speaking of the three of them tends to align with like the point that they're making um in a really cool way like when yeah. they're talking about like good things or peace it'll be um mm. the alabaster when they're talking about like society and humans that's when the aurum uh speaks up mm. yeah uh, these three are uh very strange to me you're right it's i think it's the fact that they're unknowable that like that we just don't the fact that they're so other i guess just <laughs> it's very interesting i still don't because we get more hints at like they're talking about the idea of judges and being judged and karma as their currency and all these things and it doesn't i just feel like i haven't quite like grokked how all the pieces fit together with these three you know yeah i i completely agree like it feels like we're missing some practical information on on how to interact with them um and i think it's it's sort of funny how they like because there's that moment where avery's like oh yeah i'd, I'd sort of better go and you're like but couldn't you ask them like a million more questions like you could imagine yeah. if, Ver if verona was there she'd be like oh hold on <laughs> like we're gonna get into the nitty-gritty of how these three work but there's this um regality to them where they're just mm -hmm. sort of they're sitting on their perch and they're they're like willing to have this audience with you um but the moment they're sort of like yeah avery it's probably time for you to go she's like yeah okay <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I had the same vibe where I was like, there must be more to discuss here, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what it would be. Like, I don't know. I just had the same thought of like, yeah, okay, I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, I guess this is ending. But like, yeah, I don't, my thought was I could sit here for hours and be like, okay, <laughs> so, you know, is this in your domain? Is this in your domain? <laughs> I feel like they would get a bit annoyed with you. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'd get kicked out for ridiculous. sure. Me and, Verona, um, me and Verona would get kicked out of there for asking them a bunch of questions like that. Yeah. Anywho, so, uh, so um, okay, here's, here's another thing I want to touch on, actually. Something that Avery brings up is ways that they can, like, ensure that they're able to get back to Kennet, which I think is an interesting yep. beat as we kind of move towards what seems to be a uh, Blue Heron Institute part of the story. Um, I'm just... They're, they're kind of worried about this and I, I want to kind of get a temperature check from you because I was kind of like, I didn't get the vibe that they wanted 
I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder who would prevent them from coming back and re- and like why and also i i kind of more get the sense that the real problem when they go to the blue hair institute is i actually think they're not going to want to be that involved with kennedy i think they're going to want to just fall into that practitioner student lifestyle yeah i mean maybe not as unanimously i think something that's going to happen you know if we're heading to live in alexander's school and he's the strife guy um i would expect a lot more into kennedy fighting um mm. when they're there and, and like i could see that being part of it like i i don't see avery or lucy necessarily wanting to stay there that much depending on how it goes but like i could absolutely picture a lot of scenarios where verona's like ah uh, no i want to stay here now please um mm. like i don't know i could see lucy and avery being more tied to it by family and then also by like not hating the place as much whereas you know like verona like I, there's obviously situations where i could see them not wanting to go back to Kennet that you could construct, but Verona's the one where I'm like, God, you'd almost have to construct a reason for her to want to go back. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. I Verona is definitely the one I'm the most worried about for this, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, just I, I another just, another yeah. potential point of conflict if uh, if we end up doing a, a Blue Heron Institute arc. Or because it's called the HBI in some bits, not the B H I. I don't know. Mm. I'm a bit confused about the name of it. I might just be missing something. It, isn't it? Is it referred to as the HBI? That might just be a typo. I'm pretty sure it's the Blue Heron Institute. Okay. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so Avery <laughs> can't really think of anything else to ask the judges, and so the conversation kind of wraps up there. Ah, <laughs> um, uh, yes. Uh, the last sort of detail we get here is they're like, "Oh, go say hi to John for us, because uh, we're going to nominate him at the end of the summer." Um, yeah. Which again, it seems like we've done a bit of a time jump to be in the summer now because school's yes. wrapping up and they're they're getting ready to go to the, the Blue Heron Institute. Yep. And then we're getting our sort of next deadline, which is like, okay, and then at the end of the summer, which is about when they're going to be coming back from summer school, uh, that's when the shit's going to hit the fan. Like we've had that yeah. set up since arc one. Like when this nomination happens that's when moves have to be made yeah i was talking previously about in previous episodes about the idea that i didn't think we would get to see the blue heron institute that's obviously the not the case anymore like well it seems pretty likely yes um, which makes me think now this is the end game of the story is you know it's going to wrap up by the time that john is nominated Uh, yeah yeah like it's it's funny on facebook we were actually talking the other day after 3.z came out and i was like you know, with 3.Z revealing Yolder as the murder weapon, that extra card, I was like, I could see Arc 4 being the last one. Yeah. Um, but then obviously Arc 4 started, and it's like, no, okay, we're adding a lot more to this. Yeah, than, like, we, yeah we, we've got more going on here than I thought. Um, which yeah. is, I mean, I've whenever we talked about the fact the story might wrap up before the Blue Heron Institute, I was a bit sad because I do want to see Wabo's Hogwarts, basically. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so I'm not going to be too upset if we have two two more arcs at the Blue Heron Institute that are kind of like just palling around at school and then we get back to the story. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. I, I, like, I, I know Wabo's not the sort of author to just like hop out of the story for two arcs and then come back and be like, now back to the Kennet shit. Like it will all intertwine. Um, but I'm definitely super, super glad that we're going to get part of this intertwining story happening at the BHI from the looks of it. Mm. Like at, mm. at this point, it seems quite likely we're going to end up there. But let's see how uh, this party goes, I guess. Yeah, <clears throat> we'll see. Um, so yeah, uh, Avery, w- with this interview wrapping up much quickly, 
much more quickly than she thought. Everyone wants to get home in time for the party. So she calls up a favor that she got from Zed, which is a trip home through Zoomtown. I <laughs> uh, can't wait to get into this. But uh, yes. yeah, I, I mean, it's so interesting. So they, they made this deal with Zed, like they're going to trade him back his uh, Achiwawa uh, mm-hmm. tape uh, in, in exchange for this. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is the party time. Screw the actual party. This is the party. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to touch on this. Just an interesting note. Uh, it's mentioned that Zed knew a city mage named Edward, one of the chains in the link that leads to these uh, to to uh, Jude. I think the name of the character we meet in this chapter. Um, and just the the phrase "city mage" jumped out to me. Is like, is that like a type of mage or just someone who lives in the city? I was kind of unsure. I got the impression from the phrasing that it's a mage who deals with cities. Because right. otherwise you would just call them a mage in the city or right. just a mage. And, and it makes sense with Zoomtown, right? Because Zoomtown is like a magical city of sorts, right? Yeah. Um, I, like I, I, the fact that that's a category is so wild to me. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk a lot about categories of, of others and practices uh, in our extra material coming up. But um, this was definitely one where I was like, okay, so you're a mage who does cities. Like, what is that? Is there... I mean, I guess there would be spirits of cities right like Mm. where there's spirits of everything uh, i assume so if there's like spirits of like i wonder if these are people who are like you know oh they're good at spirits of subways and skyscrapers Mm. or um those might be a bit new so is it like does the city itself like i could see there being like spirits of sydney right where um like different parts of sydney would have different energies and different types of spirits and maybe it's just someone who specializes in knowing like what forces are strong in different parts of the city mm. Mm. yeah yeah interesting i mean i i personally i city mage might have jumped out to you but the bit that jumped out to me was that there's a god parasite <laughs> um yeah and avery's like oh have fun with your parasite god and and god the, parasite no, no, god parasite um actually uh yeah what does that mean? Wait, there's a book called The God Parasite that's like um it's more talking about like the the psychology of like why why humans tend to lean towards the divine as a real thing. Like it's obviously not very applicable in in the universe of Pale uh, as a topic because it turns out that shit actually is real. Um but like yeah, is this some sort of yeah, like yeah, what could a god parasite be? I, I this is this feels to me like one of those things that's actually never going to come up in the story again as Wabo teasing us with world building um in the background uh but i hope i'm wrong because like god parasites sound like the craziest shit Mm, um yeah is it so okay is it a god who is a parasite or a parasite who is a god or both well wouldn't a parasite god be a god that is a parasite yeah so it's just a parasite that's also a god i know i think it's a parasite that feeds on gods hmm yeah okay a parasite who feeds on gods okay i can see it I, it's just bizarre. I mean, no matter what permutation of the word, the word phrase, it's uh, it's obviously very enticing. Yeah, all of them are equally interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Avery does her little ritual and meets up with Jude in Zoomtown, and we get into Zoomtown, and wow, it's wild again, <laughs> as all path-related things are. I, I think what's fun though is like it. it it's great even before we actually get there because like the ritual involves setting up a fucking Hot Wheels track around yourself and then stacking blocks on top of it <laughs> and then yeah. sitting there playing with the Hot Wheels car going hustle and bustle, hustle and bustle, hustle and bustle. And like, so just immediately I'm already like, okay, like what, because you, you, you try to piece together clues as to what the fuck's about to happen from this ritual. Like it's just such a fun, 
the fact that even the ritual is a fun part of the text to read is so great. It's not just, you know, in other stories it might be uh, we cut away because Avery spends an hour, like, well, to use another example, like uh, spreading ribbons around a room. It's like, no, she has to sit there and play Hot Wheels to get in here. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's awesome. Um, I mean, I wonder, I, I, do, do, do you have hmm. theories on what Zoomtown's sort of tapping into? Like we, we sort of weren't yeah. in the Forest Ribbon Trail that it was pulling from these kinds of not just the fairy tales like the big bad wolf obviously there mm. is a big bad wolf in that one but like yes. it was tapping into these alice in wonderland majora's mask type stories of getting lost in a wacky alternate world and having to escape um mm. but it also drew some of its like physical stuff like like the ribbons and stuff i don't think the ribbons i don't know if they were coming from a particular story or, or where that imagery came from so i didn't know like how much weight to put in to the cars versus like the children's blocks and stuff to try and decide what this path might represent. Mm, yeah. I, I, I was thinking about this. I think it, it gives me this vibe of like, like young children, like five to six years old level of children, kind of like the way that they play, the way that you have like blocks being smashed together and stuff like that. Plus the kinds of things where it's like, oh, you have to touch a blue house and then a yellow house and then a blue, or sorry, not a yellow house, a blue house, red no, house. Don't touch the house. yellow houses. <laughs> yeah. It just felt very like the, the kind of arbitrary rules that a child will come up with when they're making up a game. Yeah, um, but there's lots of like, like, you know, you're jumping between rooftops. There's all these racing cars. The boons yeah. involved are like, you become like a sick fucking uh, like Fast and Furious. Or- like yeah exactly I, um, which didn't quite make sense to me how well I, I maybe like you know the forest ribbon trail right wasn't coming all from one place it's sort of these ideas that are interrelated but not solid enough to become their own world right like i see the paths yeah. as these incarnate spaces that are, are so distant just because their ideas aren't as solidified as something like heaven or hell might be um yeah so i wonder if like maybe it is a mixture of like because look there are definitely people who view movies like fast and the furious as kind of childish in in how uh not intellectually yeah. challenging they can be so maybe maybe that's sort of the link it's it's like tying these ideas of hot wheels and building blocks to like in like things like the matrix and, and fast and yeah. the furious how you have cars and, and jumps between buildings and stuff yeah especially the thing that especially makes this make sense to me is Like, obviously, something that's so important in this world is the idea of belief, right? Um, Yeah. And so it would make sense to me then that, like, like children's imagination has this, because it is so, I guess, powerful. I don't know if I'm wondering on cliches now, but that it makes sense that that would be a, a thing just because children are able to so effectively, like, disappear into their own worlds in a way that is much more tangible than what adults can do. Um, yeah, that's probably true. That's a good point. Yeah, that, that's what makes it kind of line up to me, uh, but I, I'm not sure. It's, we're kind of just bullshitting, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm kind of happy with this explanation of it as a place that's combining action movie tropes with, um, like, children's playing stuff uh, imagery. Mm. Cause, like, I, I think that seems to fit, but um, I, I, I think it also ties into the rewards and the boons because like so the reward is you become a fast and furious driver um but the the drawbacks from that are like it, it gets harder to to do it which of course you know each fast and the furious movie is harder to make uh because you got to keep them interesting um mm. and then like you get annoyed if you're not the one driving which feels like something that's punishing a kid like and that's sort of the link avery brings up is she's like um i'm 13 i don't i'm not going to get to drive for years and now you're mm. telling me i'm going to be annoyed every time somebody has to drive me somewhere um and then obviously if you push it too far you're going to crash and burn um 
Like I, I it feel it feels like it ties into all that stuff. And it's such a cool set. Like I even when we had the discussion question, um, and like uh Walbo submitted an answer to that one and it was, you know, this this like crazy thing. It's just like the rewards and and drawbacks you get from these parts are like some of the highlights to make. It's just there's so much weird shit involved. Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, yeah so (laughs) i want to touch on this note that you've left about prepping for the path stuff right um yeah so uh, do you want to jump into that because i just i i really want to dive into this yeah well so something that sort of comes up is like jude has come and he's fucking kitted out right like he's got like oxygen tanks um all these sorts of other spare sets of clothes that cover all his skin um like there's just he's kind of like there's a there's a bit of a mini lecture mixed into this here of like jude giving avery some very like preparing for the paths 101 type stuff of like you know you should try and bring all this really versatile stuff and it just makes me think like what the fuck is this path finding stuff where it's like Mm. oh yeah uh make sure you bring an oxygen tank with you in case you end up somewhere where you need an oxygen tank yeah i love this i love this when you brought this out because it made me think about it a bit more and the fact that jude is prepared for just absolutely wild things that could happen on the paths is so great so oxygen tank to me is like if you have a path that's underwater that's going to be a whole thing (laughs) and having oxygen will clearly just make that so much easier so you kind of always have to be prepared that you might end up underwater at a path and that just could be a thing Um, maybe maybe this is the like space sci-fi nerd in me but i immediately went to like space because like clothes that have to cover all your skin and then oxygen take to me was like oh god are you going to end up in some fucking star trek bar (laughs) well yeah so protecting your eyes and ears is great there's like bright or loud paths cool that makes sense protecting your skin was again very weird because i didn't (laughs) jump to space i just thought of like things where like if the if like a droplet of water or something gets onto your skin it yeah, causes you are like lost. Permanent effect exactly <laughs> which is again fucking wild i i love the path so much it's my favorite thing that has been introduced into these stories yeah yeah absolutely um yeah like uh, even the others that are in them like we see one <laughs> here in zoom town and she's got this moment where she like so she tries to trick Avery into like having empathy for her, and then it was like the second they leave, she's like, "Ha ha ha! ha I almost got you!" In this like overly maniacal villain kind of way, it's like such a one eighty. It's just like yeah, they're, they're, it's so hilarious. Uh, all the interactions, like there's just everything about the paths is such a fun creative exercise. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, it is, isn't it? I, I do love them. Um, we let's get into Zoom Town because it's such a perfect example of why the parts are so great. Um, <laughs> Avery begins to kind of navigate the rooftops of Zoom Town with Jude following behind, and it's so good. Like, so basically, in case I don't know, you didn't read the chapter or something, which is insane. It's a town of <laughs> houses that just kind of fly off into a hill and explode <laughs> and you're just kind of jumping along these zooming past houses and that's just like a thing um god and you're going like with them like i think that's the crazy thing yes. about it. like i because the text had to specify that which is good because i kind of assumed that she was like going against the direction they're traveling it's like you've kind of yeah. got this inherent time limit because you're getting closer to the hill. to yeah to, to the goal and like as you're sort of jumping um yeah i mean everything about it is insane there's like this backdrop of like cars in fucking like doing stunts and races on the ground 10 floors below you as you jump between rooftops in low gravity um i can see why avery gets to have the like avery's kind of alternating between moments of like oh dear god fucking shit and like heck yeah this is awesome and like that was exactly the 
the roller coaster ride I was going through of like when she was doing stuff, I was like, this is so cool. And then she like slipped and I'd be like, oh God, it's all over. We're all going to die. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, of course, God. Jude, so Jude maintains his calm and he even finds that moment to be like, <laughs> hey, uh, do you have a boyfriend? Yeah, Which you know, right? Which is insane. But also, do you think he's just like because one of the things here is Avery notices a few times that he seems so calm. Do you think he's intentionally doing this just to like he can see that she's stressed out a bit and he's trying to like play it cool? I don't know. <laughs> nah, he's a fifteen-year-old boy. He's just a dumbass. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I, I mean, I love Avery's reactions to this, which is just she's sort of like, really, like now. Yeah, you think this is an appropriate time to ask me? Um, I don't because yeah. like I, I think we've talked about this. I'm not sure if it was in Deep Impact or or one of our pilot season these, but like people having arguments about like dumb and inconsequential <laughs> things in the middle of high stress situations always yeah. works for me as comedy. It's, and, it's very fun, isn't it? <laughs> um, like it's it's basically the entire premise of Archer. Like I got through like like six seasons of Archer, and like the only premise of that show is people doing exactly this. Um, yeah, and it, like it, so it worked great for me. I was just like, yeah, geez, you fucking idiot. You know, Avery's freaking out, jumping between buildings, and he's like, hey, you're pretty good at this. Hey, you are you single? Yeah, and her response, wanna, like, yeah. she she sort of panics and she just shouts, "Gay!" really loudly, which I thought yeah. was like a hilarious, awkward teen moment. Good on you, Avery. Um, yeah classic uh another classic thing while we're talking about classic things is this woman other who, who basically just wants to trick avery into trying to save her and then when she almost does she just kind of laughs at avery as she sails off into the side of this hill <laughs> oh so good fucking yeah. hell i love the paths yeah me me too me too um but uh i mean avery eventually makes it i love the moment where she makes it to the like archway and she she like lies down and snowdrop just recorporealizes to match her yeah adorable uh yeah uh yeah so avery makes it to the goal and with that uh kind of gets back to kennet climbs up this ladder and emerges into a street in kennet and she's back uh, <laughs> she, she comes out of the storm drain so i just like what if somebody had been there like and this is this 13 year old girl climbs out of the storm drain yeah why not why not? Uh, anyway, yeah, meets up with Lucy, um, and they prepare to head to the party. Yeah, and so obviously, like, we've got to touch on the fact. So Lucy was glamoured up to look like Avery. <laughs> yes, to look like um, it took me a but, while because Avery sees it talks about seeing herself, and I yeah, it took and I was me like, a while oh, to God, what that actually was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I went to, I went into panic mode, and it's like, oh no, this was like a, a pre-planned thing with Lucy. Yes. Um, but Lucy has that one moment where she's like oh, I was almost tempted to go to the party looking like you to see if I'm treated any differently, which, like, was a moment where I was, like, torn between, like, oh, yeah, like, that'll teach him uh, mixed with, like, oh, I, like, I don't know, this seems like a, a recipe for disaster, like a kind of class ranker, there's no way this can go well sort of situation. Mm. Like, I don't mm. know, that just seemed like playing with fire to me. Yes, for sure. It's It's definitely dangerous. It's definitely... I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not, it's fine as a thing to happen, but it's not fine as potentially the first step down a path, right? Which I guess yeah. is, happens a lot in this story. So, you know, Lucy's doing fine at the moment, but uh, keep an eye on. Yeah. I mean, like I, again, we always sort of hit these moments where these three are just so good for each other. Um, and this is that bit like where Lucy is going to help Avery prep for the party avery's like oh, i was just gonna put my hair in a ponytail and lucy's like no no we're gonna we're gonna do better than that and i was just like oh these three are so good for each other 
Verona's off doing, I, I think they said, but I can't remember. I was just uh, immediately my alarm bells are going off when Verona's left to her own devices to get ready mm-hmm. for a, a social engagement in particular. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, like I'm just expecting Verona to fucking show up as a cat or some shit. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe a Hermione style cat from the Chamber of Secrets movie where she's half human, half cat. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But like again, I just I love this, and like I think Avery takes a, a real moment to point out how much better Lucy looks in her clothes than her. So there's like you know these three, they're just looking out for each other. It's nice. Yeah, good on them. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, it's setting up that we're going to be going to this party uh, in the next chapter or two. Yeah, I'm sure it will be fine. Yeah, the fact that we're going to the party it makes me very excited because if like if we're gonna see it you know something wild is going to happen there, right? Like yeah, if, yeah. and it seems like we wouldn't be bigging it up this much if we didn't actually end up seeing it as a scene in the story. Yeah. And if it's going to be a scene in the story, something dramatic and crazy is going to happen there. And I'm just very excited for finding out what that's going to be. Uh, honestly, my money is on a class ranker situation. Erica, no magical shenanigans involved. This shit's yeah. going to go sideways just because people are shit. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, is it going to be magical or non-magical? And I'm, I'm with you. I think it's going to be something uh, mundane to use oh, yeah, the word. I, I guess the mundane world is horrible enough for shit to go sideways without magic. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So <laughs> that's the end of uh, four point one. Uh, let's dive into the bonus material, which is the Blue Heron Institute information packet, which opens with a letter from Alexander Belanger, basically describing how the school works. I mean, we learn about some of the teachers. The full-time teachers, who I think are Mrs. Durocher, Rad Ray, and Alex Belanger. They rhyme. That's great. Um, and then guest teachers as well. Uh, and I'm excited. I-, I hope there's some, like, other, capital O, other teacher. I don't know. We'll see. Um, oh, I wouldn't yeah. put my money on it at this, at no, this stage. No, <laughs> like others are in a different kind of class. Unless uh, there's that's... some token other, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but you're, you're right. Those three that we've already sort of met in 3.Z seem to be the main ones. Um I'm super curious to see who else is in this sphere because, like, something that last week's extra material brought up is like, uh, Ray to Zed was sort of like, oh, this is the reason we keep the school close, uh, mm. and we keep it as an asset for situations like three dots. And so now he's listed as one of the teachers, and I'm like, okay, so he's not like teaching because it's his job or because he's got a passion for it, like, which is usually the reason. Usually, teachers are either you know in it for the passion or, depending on where you live, in it for the money. Um. Ray's not, he's just in it for like the connections. And obviously we know Alexander is a piece of shit teacher. Mm. Um, are there any teachers involved with this school who are actually like there for the right reasons or even give a shit if the kids come out of it well, you know, like it seems like everyone's just there because of the power it out, like it gives them as teachers, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wonder, it's weird. Like we've got Rad Ray who seems fine a bit rough around the edges right based on what we heard in zed's interlude we've got alex who's definitely a psychopath and then we've got mrs durocher and the impression i get of her is she's i don't know she's she's got some messed up stuff under the surface at the very least right um yeah i mean i don't uh, we don't have anything to suggest she'll be a bad teacher but just like playing the odds i don't think we have anything to really suggest she'll be a good one either right yeah and so i'm like what's gonna happen (laughs) 
<laughs> is this going to be really messed up, this school? Because our first meet introduction to it was through the Belangers and Nicolette. And that was like, oh, it's all fucked. And then we got introduced to Zed and Ray. And that seems to be the counterpoint of like, no, maybe there's some valuable stuff you can get out of this, right? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, because I, I, like, obviously with Nicolette, see, it was a bit different because it wasn't at, like, it was physically at the school, but it wasn't during school hours, right? Like, this was the people who live on campus. Mm. Right, and it's like, like I like I I went to a to a boarding school. I didn't I didn't board that much, um, mm-hmm. but like there was a very different tone of like you know the, there's the school versus like when you're living there. Mm. So I I can see like I you know I can basically see it. Like Nicolette's was sort of the worst of the worst side of the school, um, and, and when you've got people like Ray and um and Zed there, like you know it's not all doom and gloom. Um, there's people to balance out Alexander, but it, like just even even who I would classify as the potentially cool teachers like Ray, it doesn't seem like he's into the school because he actually wants to part his information. He's there because it gives him a leg up in the world. Um, mm. And that sends alarm bells off to, of like, mm. you know, how he's going to treat his students. Um, yes. I mean, yeah, we've already seen how he treats his students, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, we kind of already touched on the fact that we previously didn't think we were going to go to school. It looks like we are going to go to school now. So um, anyway, to not rehash that, the next part of this bonus material is a big list of all the possible classes. And you have to cross out. Now, I don't quite understand this, Elliot. It says you have to cross out the ones you don't want to go to. Is that is that an option to not want to go to any of these classes? I can't imagine yeah. that. That was a completely alien concept to me. Um, yeah. The idea that you could read any of these and think, oh, that doesn't sound like something I'd want to learn. Um, I think asking them to cross stuff out here might be the worst thing Alexander has ever done. Like, mm. you know, I could forgive the Nicolette stuff, but this is too far. Mm. Um, yeah, it's horrible. It's the worst thing he's done for sure. Um, <laughs> so, okay, <laughs> let's get into this course list because there's a lot in here and it's it's yeah. basically a, hey, look at how much cool shit there is in this world list, right? And, <laughs> and we also know it's not everything because there doesn't seem to be much about like the paths, for example, in this um, in this course list. So there's almost certainly a whole bunch of other shit in this world that is not covered here. And there's so much here, which just means this world is so packed full of awesome stuff. Yeah, you're right. Like there's so much that of this that's just like foundational, like things like uh, spirits and, and like domains and implements and stuff. Uh, mm. But as you said, like there's stuff that we've touched on in this story that aren't touched on here. So this is just the tip of the ice, but this is presumably, you know, they have to have an expert around to teach these things for the school um mm. it's yeah, it's so cool like just reading this list i was just like i love this world so so much and it's a shame to know that we can't just read 10 years worth of pactverse stories um just going into all this stuff mm. Mm. yeah like it reminds um, me of um there's there's <clears> like an a, an a song a song of ice and fire like history book mm. so like like george R. R. martin has like released side stuff that's basically just like a history textbook on the world of of uh, a song of ice and fire like game of thrones and it, like he, he's he's said he's when he's been asked to comment on it he sort of said it's funny because i have fans who know all the details like they've memorized these books and they call me out when i make tiny mistakes and i just wonder if those people have been as diligent about real world history textbooks mm. and like reading <laughs> this course list i felt very called out by that old comment because it was like i was <laughs> Like I would be so much more willing to read. Like Wildbo could just write, write a textbook, like, like yeah. lecture 100%. recordings on yeah. these things, and it's like you know I didn't 
I didn't go to every lecture when I was at university, but I don't think I'd miss Wildbo's lecture on the site, which is like, yeah, maybe I need to reevaluate some stuff if I'm more willing to go to this fake lecture <laughs> on magic. <laughs> yeah, um, having said that, I also agree. And obviously the thing that suge- this suggested to me is this course list actually, like, I got I got so invested into like I guess you'd call it career planning for, for what if I was a practitioner, um, and I wanted to ask the question of what what you would pick, Elliot. What career of practitioning do you think you would go down now that you're looking at the university, you know, set of courses? God, I mean, I was bad enough at this at regular university. I wanted to sign up for everything. Um, well, do you, okay. It sounds like you have ideas already, so yes, I'm just going to quickly I, read through. What What are yours? I was I. You know, I started looking, and of course, you want to go to all of them. So the way you have to answer this, I think, is what actual path of practicing would I want to go down? And looking through these courses, the one that really jumped out to me was all the stuff about magic items. I think I'd be really into magic items. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Zed and and his um, 80s technomancy. And I don't know if it would necessarily be technomancy specifically, but just like crafting and uh, and dealing with magic items, I think would be so much fun. So I, yeah. I, I loved all those ones. And also probably binding others, I think, is a kind of general purpose thing that would be quite useful to understand. Yeah. There is like just just going through it. There's like the list of others that they're, they're sort of a, a category, yes. Um, and it's all like binding others, like categorizing them. Like it, it's very dehumanizing. Um, mm-hmm. which mm. uh, you know I'm sure will be something we sort of start to touch on. <laughs> um, yeah, I, the the ones that jumped out to me, and I hate to say it because like the the Bill and Jays seem like pieces of shit, but like all the stuff around like there's the category sight and seeing, and it's like astral projection using the site um yeah, true. like remote viewing or augury type stuff like that was what jumped out to me is like oh this would be my top priority but maybe you know that means material stuff like this stuff on visiting mean... the ruins the store oh, yeah, cool. you can't uh, become then... an augur because then alexander belanger will be your head teacher and that's uh, that's a nightmare Look, if we're gonna if we're gonna pick practices based on whether or not I'd survive doing it for more than five minutes, I'm not I'm not left with many options. All right. Mm, mm, true. Um, yeah, I, some of this stuff like the other immaterial practices, stuff on like self and the soul, elementals, incarnations. Like I could, I could. That feels like the very fundamentals stuff that I could probably get into. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I could just sit here all day and talk about like all the classes here and what they could be about and what I'd do in them. Uh, so let's, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, anyway, so then this oh, bonus there's bit. A course, there's a course here on the fairy. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, I'm stopping. I know, there's so much good shit in here, right? Um, that's not even mentioning all the like special interest courses that come up at the end that are all like absolutely wild. Um, anyway, so. Power management of the uncontrolled okay yeah sorry, sorry. Let's uh, move on. then this kind of bonus material ends with uh verona lucy and avery discussing which courses they're interested in and obviously verona's eager for all of them which is fair enough um and they yeah. just kind of touch on i think we sort of touched on in our reflections episode with jade how like i identify with verona and it was it was really more true than in this moment where verona <laughs> was like 110 percent to everything i think the one disagreement we had is she was like except history like history is boring yeah and i was like don't I get me wrong you- Wait, I, yeah. I agree. I real life history. I found it was one of the the least in, interesting subjects I had at school, particularly because yeah. Australian in, history is like yeah. nothing. Um, yeah. but like this is the history of magic. Like I know history is boring, but like how could it not be cool to learn about like how like magic evolved? You know? 
yeah, yeah, that was bizarre to me, Verona. Like that's cool shit. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm definitely on on side with you there. Like, I I guess the thing that that maybe makes me agree with Verona is if I had to cut something, it would probably be history. <laughs> Even though I would want to, if it was like take magical history or you know nothing, I'd be like, oh fuck yeah, like this is great. Yeah. But, you can't if you can only do four classes a day what's that that's 20 classes tops if you're fully loading up your course load i know i'm thinking about this too much for a fictional school <laughs> it's so enticing how can you not yeah it's funny you had that bit before where you're like oh what if they just don't want to leave and it's like reading this course list I, now i see what you were talking about like uh-huh. rona's gonna do them up the classes it's just gonna be like yeah guys listen um i'm not going anywhere yeah, thank you. We got free tuition here. Like, yeah, mistake. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, this this chapter ends with um with everyone logging off, and before Lucy's the last one there, and before Lucy logs off, she messages an empty room saying uh, about Verona. I worry about you too, you know, so much. Oh, sad. yeah. I mean, it's it's. I, I mean, this moment is so great because there's a bit like Avery logs off and this is set before. So this is a- when Avery is leaving to go talk to the judges mm. and she logs off. And then there's this bit where um Lucy and Verona are like, oh, I, you know, I do worry about her. Like, well, I'm kind of talking about her in this caring way that, that mutual friends will do. And then, yeah, and then Verona logs off and Lucy sends that I worry about you too message. And then I think the the program writes back, your last message was not sent. Nobody else is in this conversation, which just the sadness and melancholy of her writing that line mm-hmm. is increased by a thousand fold by just the program, just reinforcing, Hey, no, no one's listening to you right now. Yeah, it's, so... it's, just, it's especially poignant because what it means is Lucy doesn't feel like she has somebody that she can talk to about this. So she's kind of just yelling yeah. it into the void, right? Like, fuck, that's tragic. Of course, Lucy is the one who is saying this sort of stuff to the void. But yeah, absolutely. Like this was this is a brilliant little piece of writing here. This this finale to, to mm. this moment. Yeah, like all the cool um, world building. If the the classless decide, like this is great little a, a great little piece of character writing that snuck in as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the end of uh, of the, the chapters that we're discussing today. Uh, but don't go anywhere because we've got some more stuff coming up. Starting with. Uh, some predictions from the community left in our Pale Predictor app, which you can uh, get to by clicking the link down in the description. Uh, the community has left some predictions on what's going to happen, and uh, I want to pull some of them out. Uh, I, I want to yeah. start with this one, uh, a prediction by Kyrgyzstan, who made this prediction a few hours before the this week's bonus material came out, and they said, I predict that the bonus material for Thursday, August 20th, 2020, will be a syllabus or course catalogue for the Blue Heron Institute. Nailed so bang on, Kyrgyzstan. Congratulations. Great work. Well well played. Yeah. I mean, pretty much bang on. Yeah. Um, um, did yeah. you have a prediction you wanted to pull out? Yeah, I, I put that one from Emerald Clef. Um, and I actually sort of already talked about this earlier in the episode, but uh, Emerald Clef is the one who suggested that uh, Yolda might have been ordered to kill the Carmine Beast by the Masked Man. And there's suggestions it was Charles, um, but Emerald Clef was the one who was like, maybe it was Marissa using glamour to look like Charles for whatever reason. Um, mm. Which, like, I it would be a funny twist because who'd want to who'd want to be Charles for a day? You know, like uh, he's he's actually the worst um, according to Karma. <laughs> yes, I love that. Like, we're very much um, positioned to just think it was Charles. Like, it just. Yeah. 
like the universe hates him we kind of hate him it just <laughs> it just is like perfect if it was charles which i'm i'm sure that means it won't be but I, yeah I just well, think especially because if he's got this bad karma that's you know that's meant to make bad stuff happen to him like the trail constantly pointing to him if he has bad karma yeah. seems like yeah. that sort of thing. Like yeah, exactly. people continually suggesting things that make it sound like Charles is exactly the sort of bullshit that I'd expect from someone with bad karma. So yep. yeah. Yeah. Um sorry, I've got to close this. I've so I'm I've just been reading this class. Of course, of course, <laughs> I've got to yeah, close it. This one called um, Artificial Realms. It's about technomancy and richly credits. You gotta do that one. Yeah, of course. That'll be Red Ray's class. It'll be great. Yeah. Um yeah, so something else to dive into is uh, we got some great discussion answers to our discussion question in our uh, discussion thread. God, that's a lot of discussion in uh, <laughs> last week. Um, so the discussion question was, how do you think the Kenneteers or Kennet others could have handled things better? And we got a bunch of answers to this. Um, I guess I'll pull out some of them. Some some people didn't think that they could have done much better. Uh, there were a few that that were kind of like small tweaks because obviously the Kenneteers and Kennet others are kind of in difficult positions. Um, yeah. One one I thought was interesting was uh, Grundux91 basically said uh, if they were the Kenneteers, they, they might not have chased up the Carmine Beast stuff as much. Like when the Kenneteers were being introduced, it was very much, hey – we'll say that you're chasing this up, but you don't actually have to. And they obviously haven't really done that. They've kind of just gone front and center. Um, but uh, Grunduck suggests maybe they could have just chillaxed a bit more and, and like learned about the world more first, even if they did eventually get into the Carmen Beast stuff, which I agree with in principle, but it also kind of assumes that whoever killed the Carmen Beast, that was just a one and done kind of murder. Whereas it, I think it's probably going to be the case that there's more of a conspiracy going on here. And so not looking into it just means you're you're going to be blindsided by whatever ends up happening. Um, yeah, so yeah, I also... I, like, like, so the, the one sort of thing they had going for them, and the, the you know, the, the, the height of the relationship with the Kennet others was when Miss was willing to sacrifice herself for them, yes. which frankly is something that I don't think has earned them enough points. Um, but, it, like... Without investigating the Carmine Beast and, and by just sitting back, they wouldn't have entered any situations where they've kind of proved themselves. Like, you know, the bit with Zed, where they fought Zed with the goblins and John, that was the point that was brought up as like having earned them points. And that's not mm. the sort of thing they might have been as involved with if they were taking this this more backseat thing. Like, I think mm. actually getting out there and fighting with the Kennet others has often been the thing that's earned them the most points. Mm. So... I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I, yeah, like, yeah. I, can, I, I think Grundux has some points, but then I can also counter argue it, which is probably true for every answer. <laughs> yeah, here. definitely. Like, there's so many ifs and ands. Yes. Um, one other one I quite liked was by a user called Lurking Beluga, who brought out that they don't think that the either the Kenneteers or the Kennet others really handled Mrs. Departure very well, which I think we <laughs> are all in agreement on. The, yeah. the other thing they kind of pointed out was like, yes, there was time pressure, but they were like they knew Miss was leaving. It probably would have been worth it soliciting a bit of advice about like, hey, so um, how do we not fuck this up? <laughs> you know? Yeah, like not to blame Miss, but uh, maybe she could have done a bit more to, to pave like, the way for things, things to not go to fail. shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, um, that's that's a good point. Um, yeah, it's like like stuck in Reddit factory kind of just brought up. Uh, like basically, all everyone needs to do here is just trust each other a bit more. But also, they can't. But if they could, it would be so much nicer. Which is 
you know, about the state of affairs in a nutshell. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are some of the discussion question answers that I really liked. Yeah. Um, um, oh, sorry, we forgot to write a new discussion question. So I guess everyone forgot. gets a week off. Giving people a break from discussion questions so they can vote in the fan art contest. It's all intentional. Now, this is where our episode ends. Maybe. Yes. Because, uh, uh, we're gonna, let's do um, our let's do our outro and then um yes. then we'll move into back to two packs. Well, yeah, I, we're gonna wrap up the show. But if you have uh, listened to Pact, the previous story to this story, we'll have some uh, Pact spoilers discussion after the episode. So stick around for that. Um, uh, yes, but for those but, of you who don't, stick around for the outro and then you can leave. Then you're allowed. To. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, uh, yeah, you know we there'll be so excited. There'll be a link to the <laughs> so, discussion thread. In the yes. show notes below. So that's where you can leave your answers. Oh, no. No, you can't. No. Um, that's no. where you can just chat about the episode, chat about what courses you would do, the Blue Hair Institute, you know, just chat about these chapters in general. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that will be linked in the show notes down below. Um, if you want, why don't you leave this show a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever the heck that is nowadays. Um, it helps people find the show and that helps people find Wild Bo's Works and that's always a good thing. Uh, yes. And if you want more content after listening to this episode and you're thinking this isn't enough doof podcasting for me, uh, doofmedia.com is the website where you can find all the other doof podcasts uh, for all your needs. We, uh, in the last few days, uh, actually hit our Patreon goal of 450 Patreon uh, patrons, mm-hmm. uh, which means that Matt and Scott have officially kicked off work on Explorators. Uh, yes. which is um, something so Matt is writing and I think Scott is is producing or something um, it's like an it's going to be an audio narrative uh, so yeah it's be the first original uh, content piece of original <laughs> well you know what I mean like, yeah so they've, they've just released piece, I guess they've, they've just released it. a blurb for it and it's like this cool like Star Trek style audio podcast thing it's going to be it sounds yeah. awesome uh, I can't wait for it uh, so if you want yeah. more details about that if you want to help sort of you know, see that through, uh, head on over to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Yeah, definitely. Um, and while you're on Patreon, why don't you check out Wildbo's Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Wildbo? Because of course he is the one who created Pale and all these cool things like Zoomtown. Um, so why don't you zoom town over to Wildbo's Patreon and leave him some money? Ooh, um, yeah. So on that note, uh, get out of here if you haven't listened to Pact and you don't want spoilers because we're going to we're gonna dive into that. Yeah, let's go. Back to Pact. All right, Elliot, what do we got? I mean, there's there's actually a bunch of stuff to talk about from these these last few chapters. I mean, obviously, yeah. 3.Z, we we met a person. Eloise is clearly a Duchamp, right? Clearly a Duchamp. <laughs> she's a connection. You know, she got married. Like, she's she's been a, like, surprise fiancé. I'm, I'm, yeah. The Duchamps also, are well and truly alive. Yeah, I mean, they were described as the family of pretty cockroaches, which I think, like, I think I saw a bunch <laughs> of people. The second they read that, they were like, oh, these fuckers, they're still here. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, the Duchamps made it out of Jacob's Bell. Um, I, I, I'm kind of sad because I don't think Pale will go into that because, like, that might be too packed territory, you know? Like, like to actually even name the family, I think, would be a bit much. Um, but yeah. I, I would just, I would love to get the details on the story of how these fuckers managed to, like, settle back into doing this same bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, I would also love to see that. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, uh, we also, uh, we get these a, a bit more beats about something that I found really interesting, which was about the, the, the hungry choir going to visit ghost towns. Zed talks about how practitioners will go to like clean up places where things have happened. And I think that's a hundred percent 
happening or happened to Jay's B in yeah. the sense of we saw that in the the epilogue impact. I hundred percent yep. think something very similar that's going on there, which I think is just a fun little note for those of you who are packed readers. Yeah, I absolutely made the same connection. I was like, oh, this is what Jacob's Bell is kind of like now. Um, yeah. Like if if the Hungry Choir had gone that far and grew that much, I honestly wouldn't have been surprised to learn that Jacob's Bell was one of the towns it was going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we also get, there's a couple of mentions of the Abyss uh, recently in the story. In fact, uh, Avery says she would like to go to the Abyss and she asks Jude if the Abyss is like the ruins. Uh, which uh, kind of stumps Jude. He's just like, uh, uh, um, no. I mean, I like, it, it was funny. Like my reaction to this was like, you know, there's that part of me that's like, oh no, Avery, don't do it. And then of course the other part of me was like, yeah, let's do this again. Wait, the abyss it's so much fun. I'm fucking ready to dive back into that bullshit. Yeah, what if we see, um, the witch, what's her name? I've forgotten the witch's name now, but what if oh. we see the witch again? That'd be so great. Oh god, what is her name? And they went and visited her thing in Maybe the airport. Her name has been forgotten to time. It's been taken away yeah. from her, and so we'll never know it. <laughs> um, edited out of, of pact. Yeah, I mean, I think there were quite a few fun little Easter eggs of stuff in in this four point one extra material as well. Like, there's a counter diabolism course, which is yes, totally. like I, I don't <laughs> think Pale is gonna. Is... Six demons. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if everyone gets quite as harsh a harsh a go at that as um as Laird and Alistair did. But, um, Rose Junior or Rose Senior potentially is one yeah. of the guest lecturers. Wouldn't that be great? Um, I wonder. Yeah, it's, well, because Rose is almost more of a scourge now. She'd be Avery's tutor, maybe. True. Than, true. Although she obviously has a working knowledge of diabolism. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, but like, like, I don't think this story will really go into diabolism. Um, it's just it's been covered ground right yeah but like i think like i that's why i thought that, that was like a very fun little easter egg of like in the course list just seeing counter diabolism and thinking oh yep of course couldn't have a practitioner school without hating on diabolism for a bit <laughs> yeah so um yeah good stuff i i love how like with this course list the world has expanded so much and yet there still feels like there's so much space for stories in this universe. Like, it's so yeah, like, great. It's my favorite of Wabo's universe. It's just because there's so much potential for awesome shit in here. Yeah. Like, like you know, we, we weren't really able to name specifics, but, like, that course list didn't include anything about, like, chronomancy, like, as an example yeah. of stuff that's just not even being touched yeah. on. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Fuck. I mean, so cool. like, I, I think that's the thing as well. Like, I, I imagine, because obviously Pale and Pact have both been set in, like, one part of canada yeah and i imagine that's sort of because the magic of this world is so based on the the culture and the beliefs of a place that like i, I think it's sort of the area Wilbur's from away like, he's from canada right so yeah it's sort of like he like, can kind of like that. yeah you yeah. write the stories there just because like he, he knows it like yeah. it, it'd it's be so weird to have the cultural knowledge of things for this kind of yeah story. like you couldn't dive as deeply in a culture that you hadn't spent as much time with um mm. like i think you could probably get away with doing an australian one because it's like 99 percent the same um like both you know both. can and should do <laughs> um the down under of the uh yeah Pactworth. but but like like i mean i i think yeah like to your point this is the thing right like we've had these two stories or a story and a half so far and they're both just set in like this this part of canada um but there's so much more to this world. Like you, you could just pick up and, and, you know, hop on over to Australia um, and have like stories that don't even touch on what's going on in Canada. Um, yeah. Never mind getting into places that are completely foreign sort of cultures. 
um, and ones that have sort of been less influenced by by the West. Um, it's just so much to this world. So cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else that we want to touch on for going back to Pact? Well, I suppose while we've got our our arsenal of Pact knowledge, do you have any more insight into where you think Lucy and Verona might be going as practitioners? Like, obviously, um, Avery seems pretty set on being a finder, which seems new in, in this story to me unless i'm forgetting something yeah i know i think it is um i i don't really i think verona's interesting in that if she doesn't become an other she could become something like a host or just she seems to just care about everything and so maybe like dabbling is is what she's gonna end yeah, up yeah a bit more of a shaman slash dabbler yeah I, but for lucy i have no clue what she's yeah doing. okay good so it's not just me like <laughs> so that's fine um yeah i i'm very interested to see where yeah. Um, oh, sorry, I've got the course list back up. I closed it. I did. But I um, All right, we can wrap this show up so Elliot can get back to studying his course list. No, there's like there's ones in here. Like, there's stuff that touches on the Seal of Solomon, which we obviously know a lot less about in Pale than we did in Pact. Yeah. But there's also the Oni Accords that mm. are listed next to the Seal of Solomon as like presumably like the Japanese version of the Seal. Yeah, of Solomon. and because we learned that they have a completely different system for familiars, so that's just so cool yeah and uh, japan i think has its own kind of set of these like it's influenced by christian and buddhist but also kind of like shinto belief structures that i think would quite differentiate never to not to mention the fact that japan has like fucking yokai and all these other like really very specific uh like eastern stuff yeah um anywho uh (laughs) is that of our show do we have anything else yeah. to, to well, just we, we don't really have an outro now this this happens every time we do back to back we just sort of have to say and that's see that. you next time